0: The Information Security Forum has unveiled the latest of its series of Threat Horizon reports, which identifies emerging threats. Hello, I'm Eric Chabra of Information Security Media Group. And to discuss the report, I'm once again pleased to be speaking with Steve Durbin, Managing Director of the Information Security Forum. Welcome back, Steve. Good to be here. ISF labels the latest report as Threat Horizon 2017. How will the threat horizon look differently in 2017 than it does in 2015?
1: Well, I think the big change for me, Eric, in this uh, this version is that we're really focusing here on technology. This has more about technology as a threat enabler, if I can put it that way, than probably we've ever seen before. And I think that just reflects that, you know, the all-pervasive nature of technology in business, in everything that we do. And so the key themes that we're highlighting here, the key threats, they're all in some way, shape, or form, I think, dependent upon or reacting to the speed at which technology is is changing and and really taking over the way in which we transact business around the world.
0: Give an example or two of that.
1: The first thing that we pulled out was, was about disruption. Now, again, if you come at it from a, from a technology perspective, disruptive innovation is something that we've talked about long and hard. You know, It's about technology coming in and really being a game changer. I'm thinking of people like Uber, for instance, who just appeared from nowhere and have taken significant market share in what they do. But we're seeing things like supercharged networks that are really enabling, yes, organizations to communicate much more effectively, but also opening doors to the criminal fraternity to be able to take advantage of that, or hackers, for instance, who can make use of cloud services to crack passwords. Technology, yes, it's an enabler, but it's a disruptive enabler in that it's providing both good and the bad, and then that really is uh, part of the essence of what we're talking about.
0: Is there anything that people can do proactively to uh, minimize these threats? Or is it just developing a new mind frame and uh, almost tackling them on a ad hoc basis?
1: No, I think there are things that people can do. I mean, I, I think for me, you know, I talk a lot about uh, resilience, about preparing for the day when something goes wrong. I think there's a combination of the basics. You know, we have to make sure that we've got our security policies updated, yes, but we also have to conduct resilience and business continuity planning because we're now entering a world where we simply don't know when some of these things might impact us. We're planning for the unexpected, and that will take us into having to necessarily work with our critical suppliers to ensure that they too are prepared in this space. But I think conducting a much more robust identification and assessment process of risks that will move us from the security side of the house fairly and squarely into this being a
0: uh, a business issue. And what have you observed so far? We hear a lot of talk the past few years about boards and the executive suite getting more involved in IT security. Are we actually seeing that?
1: Well, back in uh, 2015, you may remember when we looked at the Threaterized and then, we talked about one of the challenges being the CEO doesn't get it. What we've seen now is that the CEO does get it. The C-suite does understand. And, and I think you know that's attributable to some of the massive amounts of uh, press that we've been seeing of late related to people like Sony and Target. The C-suite does now get it, but the security folks, as a result, have to deliver. And I think there is still this lack of um, awareness or understanding, perhaps, about some of the implications of delivering security across the enterprise where we don't have control over network boundaries, we don't have necessarily control over the third-party providers, and we are in uh, an environment that is constantly changing where we have to be adopting much more resilient uh, approaches that assume that we will be breached or have hacks at certain points in time, and it's about how we recover from that 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 are becoming increasingly more important. And those are the sorts of things. That, uh, the messages that we have to be getting
0: across to our to our in, in some respects, you have to get back to just basic IT security, making sure your controls are on place and that you have processes to uh, handle the situation before and after a potential breach. How important are those basics? And is there any proof to show that in doing the basics that you are more secure? Doing
1: the basics for me, you know, that's. That's hygiene, that's, that's what we have to do. That's the first thing that any security department must be focusing on. And is there are there any examples out there where those things have um, prevented hacks or breaches or incidents? That's very hard for anyone to put their finger on. What, what we can say is that some of the uh, breaches that have taken place at, for instance, Home Depot, at uh, JP Morgan, you know, some of the routes into those organizations were through a lack of some, some basic hygiene. They were down to perhaps uh, patches not having been implemented. It is fundamental. You do IT security has to focus on getting the basics right. But at the same time, it's also about anticipating with the business what it is that the business would like to be doing. Because we're now into the area of risk. We're not into necessarily just this being about technology. It's about what is the risk profile that the business is prepared to carry and what is acceptable to the business in terms of the way that it wishes to respond, because of course every time you try to put in place a, a safeguard, it requires resource, whether that be money or whether it be people. And I think we're seeing much more discussion taking place now around risk profile that an organisation wishes to carry, and therefore some of the implications and the requirements in terms of putting in place mitigating strategies and uh, uh, and resources.
0: Are organisations businesses set up properly to provide Adequate uh, IT security, and by that I mean, uh, you know, in most organizations, you, uh, you have the executive suite, then you have the CIO's office, and within the CIO's office, you have the uh, chief information security officer. Things are divided that, that way. Is that still a good way to, to structure an organization, or, or do you have, we have to look at things a little differently these days? As I
1: travel around various different constructs, I think it, uh, it really is dependent upon the way that the business manages Uh, risk within its organization. I've seen security folks that are reporting through to chief risk officers in organizations that take risk as being hugely important. I'm thinking about some of the very large U.S. insurance companies in in this instance. I've seen it also going through to uh, the chief financial officer in organizations where uh, clearly an impact uh, of a breach or or something such as that would have such a big impact and and, uh, effect on, say, stock price and on shareholder value. And so it's appropriate that it sits in the CFO space. And then I've seen it um, sitting where it's traditionally sat, perhaps in the CIO and CTO area, because, of course, it is still a technology-based issue, and organizations are comfortable in terms of uh, managing that way. There's no right or wrong. I think some of the challenges that we're seeing, particularly with things like legacy technologies, increasing dependence upon critical infrastructure, do within the enterprise, that is, do require some pretty intimate knowledge of your IT business of your IT systems and so for organizations you know who are really focused on those elements it probably is appropriate to have it sit in the uh, in
0: the technology space still. Okay let's get into a couple of these uh threats uh, uh emerging threats you see one you talk about is the cost and scale of data breaches increasing dramatically uh why do you expect, expect it to be increasing dramatically?
1: Yeah I, I think you know good good question why I think um, if we look at uh, some of the research that that came out last year from from Ponemon, I think the average cost of a cybercrime breach there was something like 12.7 million US dollars, I think, was the figure they put on it. why do we see it increasing dramatically? Well, I think that uh, we certainly anticipate a number of breaches growing along with the, the volume of compromised records. That means it's, it's going to become more expensive for organizations of all sizes to respond to these things. But the other point is that there are very few enterprises out there that I'm aware of that have all of the skill sets in-house that they can draw upon on day one. Nobody really has the forensic skills. So you're going to have to call in the experts to dig through to find out exactly what happened, you know, how the breach took place, uh, and so on. Then you're going to get into things such as liabilities. We're starting to see already you know, banks in particular looking to perhaps claw back some of the losses that they have made in some of the large scale breaches with, uh, with retailers, Target being a good example in the United States at the moment of course. That in turn is going to increase the impact of the breach outside of just getting the systems back up and running. And then, of course, there are some of the unforeseen costs from that uh, that whole expensive and and lengthy remediation process that you have to go through to get your system back online, Uh, not to even talk about some of the implications that we might be seeing from the changes to data protection regulation. I'm thinking in particular here about the way that the European Union is implementing some of the um, potential fines, uh, you know, up to 5% of, uh, of global revenues. Uh, In certain instances, what we've got is a landscape that is continually shifting, changing. It's going to continue to become very much more complex for organizations, not just to guard against the breach, but to respond to it, and also to assess some of the liabilities that uh, that they may be incurring. And that all, of course, just uh, adds to to, to the resource requirement that's needed around all of these uh, issues.
0: Sounds almost hopeless, the way you're describing it.
1: Well, I think it depends which part of the organization you sit in. You know, if, I was, if I was sitting in a legal department or, or thinking about embarking on a career in, uh, in a legal profession, I'd, I'd be uh, rubbing my hands with glee. This is all about risk mitigation. It's all about risk management. Let's be fair, businesses know how to do that. And I think that you know, if we can view cyber and the implications of data breach from a business standpoint, we're going to be in a much better place than if we just view it as a, as a technical issue.
0: If you had to pick uh, one other area within the nine that you're pointing out of emergent uh, threats, uh, what would that be? The dependence on
1: critical infrastructure becoming dangerous. Why? Because it, it impacts, yes, things like uh, the energy grids, for instance. I mean, Homeland Security back in 2011 did some some work looking at uh, 15 critical infrastructure sectors and, and determined for 11 of them, GPS was essential. You know, not much has changed over that period of time. So we are increasingly dependent from uh, for our critical infrastructure on technology. And it's not restricted to that either. If we look at it from a uh, financial markets standpoint, you may recall a couple of years ago when uh, when hackers used the Twitter account of Associated Press, for instance, to report an attack on the White House. That had a $136 billion impact on the Dow Jones. Now, these are the sorts of things I think that we're going to be seeing becoming more commonplace. An enterprise really has to, I think, conduct regular business continuity planning and scenario simulations to try to determine what they can do about some of the, uh, the impact that might be derived from an attack on critical infrastructure. I think they also need to be uh, identifying and assessing now, the risks to their own infrastructure, whether that be a combination of cloud services with third parties and all of the challenges that uh, that represents, or whether it's perhaps legacy systems that they've had in place for quite some while now and are struggling perhaps to find the resources to, to maintain and they haven't actually managed to, to replace some of them yet. Critical infrastructure for me is, is key, both from the government standpoint, because of course governments need to be concerned about the national infrastructure, but also the critical infrastructure within the enterprise itself.
0: I just wonder if there are enough resources to be able to do all this.
1: And, of course, uh, the, the answer to that is no, no, we do not.
0: So something we'll be struggling with uh, for the foreseeable future, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think certainly it is something that, that is going to be challenging businesses for the foreseeable future. We know that cybersecurity skills are in short supply at the moment. But I do think that there's a... Re- a way around it, you know, some smart thinking, more collaborative working with other organizations in the the same space, sharing of of threat information and good practice. These are all the sorts of things that can not overcome some of these massive shortages and, and, and challenges, but they can certainly help you mitigate against them. Well, thanks, Steve. Thank you, Eric.
0: And that's Steve Durbin of the Information Security Forum. I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.